Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. Hey, Tara. Hi, Janine. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I thought this week it would be kind of poignant and timely to talk about um, someone who was an incredible financial feminist, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, at this point, I think the entire internet knows that she passed away last week. Um, which was very sad. And I think while we're not American, I think there's a lot of things that um, people were hoping for, especially with her kind of holding on until the new president, if the new president gets elected. And I thought also um, there was a lot of interesting things that she's done in the course of her life. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely done a lot of um, interesting work for women in the United States and more broadly as well. I mean, we are closely related to the United States and um, their decisions, especially at a Supreme Court level, uh, do impact us, I think. For sure. I think like precedents get sent, get set. And in those cases, you know, when a Canadian jurisdiction is looking for how to make a decision they maybe they would look to the u.s or vice versa so i think definitely um she's had a huge impact there yeah yeah and even for uh you know recognition or um sort of public opinion i think she was a very vocal person um and a very prominent person and a lot of the things that she said I agreed with some I did not um yeah so let's dig in what do you got yeah so I I wanted to go back kind of first to anyone who doesn't know kind of how the Supreme Court works down in the states just at a high level so my understanding is that there are current well I guess as of Friday it's not currently but there was nine spots on the Supreme Court that were filled. And you can have up to 15 Supreme Court justices that are appointed to the Supreme Court, but there's never been 15. It's always kind of just been nine. And once a president appoints or puts forward a nomination for the Supreme Court, the Senate has to um, approve and vote on that person I guess, becoming a Supreme Court justice. So one thing to note also is that right now there is a Republican president and there's also a Republican Senate. So that means that it's fairly easy for a justice to be kind of put through. 
to the Supreme Court because I'm assuming the Republican Senate is probably just going to agree with the Republican president. Yeah. Is that kind of your understanding of how everything works? Yeah, I mean, I'm not as into American politics and their system, so yes. That is my understanding, but also I feel like I just learned a lot. Um, I usually just look to them for, okay, public opinion, like where are things shifting um, more than anything else. But yeah, that's, that's what I get. Um, and here's the thing. So when Obama was on the way out, Buddy was on the way in, um, but we didn't know. Right. And somebody had passed away, like one of their Supreme Court judges had passed away. But they said it was like quite a while before the election, too. It was like yeah. nine months before the election. Yeah. And they said that, oh, like the outgoing president couldn't pick because of whatever. And it had to be the incoming president. And then there was this whole thing because and. And here's the thing that bothers me with her passing away and with all this stuff happening um, and with having them basically have a straight shot for whoever they want to pick, if they want to pick someone right now. Wasn't Buddy that they put up like a fucking rapist? Oh, totally. The Republicans are pieces of shit. And um, (laughs) I have learned that Mitch, I think it's Mitch McConnell, is pretty much just a terrible human being because that's exactly it. Um, He wants the rules for the Republicans to be different for a democratic president than for a Republican president. So he wants it both ways. He didn't want to jam through jam, I guess being nine months when whoever died, I don't remember. Um, back when Obama, that's correct. Yes. Um, back when Obama was, you know, going to be stepping down after his eight-year term. But now it's their, like, civic duty to get someone through um, before the potential, I guess, of Trump not getting reelected. So the other problem, though, back is Obama did put someone up. Mm -hmm. It was that the Senate didn't confirm that person because the Senate was Republican at that point. So Mm -hmm. it becomes a really big problem when the president and the Senate aren't aligned. And I think the Senate flipped in like 2012 and has been Republican ever since. Well, and that's the thing, because to me, this feels like a lot of the arguments that we have in Canada of like, oh, I only like minority government because then the opposition holds them to account and yada, yada, yada. And then when the people you like get in, you're like, yeah, majority, because we can like bulldoze a bunch of shit through. Um, And to be perfectly clear, throughout my adult life, literally no one that I have liked has been in a minority or majority government. So I just want to be very clear about that. I'm not rah, rah, team red or blue. Um, yeah, and I think that's such a hard thing is people need to realize that you either like minority government all the time, even when your guys are in power, or you don't. You can't have it both ways just when your person is in the, the lead. Yeah, a political party should not be followed as though it's a, a sports team. Exactly, yeah. 
<laughs> like, because at the end of the day, if your sports team loses, it's like, okay. But if you follow a political party, like a sports team, some people lose their access to basic human rights. And that's a problem. Well, for some people, I guess, if you're not losing your rights, maybe they don't see it as a problem. Yeah, but I mean, even some white men are affected by nonsense, right? Like some That's true. white men are also feminists. Of course. Yeah, no, I, I guess I'm just making a blanket statement for those who don't give a fuck, but... There's a lot of them. Um, I feel like we only found, yeah. we found the only two. Um, but kind of back to the, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I feel like I don't know if I feel bad for her is like the the right word choice to use in the sense that what an incredible burden this woman has had to bear in her last years fighting cancer she obviously realized when Trump got in like she was trying to hold on for as long as possible and again before that the Senate flipped in like 2010 or 2012 or something like that. So it's been, you know, the last eight or eight plus years where she has really had to hold on in a sense that um, knowing that another progressively minded individual was probably not going to get elected to or appointed to the Supreme Court. And that means that it's it's going to tilt the other way and i want to get into this but then we're going to see a lot of legislation be repealed and i just that's just such an incredible burden for someone to bear on their deathbed you know yeah when you think about it yeah and i think i remember before uh, Trump was elected, and before we got the UCP government here, I thought, and you know, maybe it was idealistic or whatever, but I really thought we were sliding, you know, in, in small ways, but I thought we were sliding to like a more progressive mindset. So I do feel for somebody who's been in the situation where they have made huge decisions at the Supreme Court level that have done so much for for women. And it is, I I do have to say, it is a certain subset of women that she was representing. Um, I think it really speaks to having, you know, diversity at a Supreme Court level um, and lived experience. But but anyway, besides the point, for, for women and for the women that she represented, I wonder if she hung on because I, I know there are a lot of people that are saying, well, she should have just stepped down when Obama was still president and then he could have. But again, that like, would have had to have been like eight years ago or eight plus years yeah. ago. And, and, and yeah. And some people are like, well, you know, like some people retire at 65 and whatever. But, but the thing is she's a working lady. She, she was a feminist, whether she was a broad feminist or a white feminist, like however you want to view that, but she was a feminist. And, um, she was at that time looking at perhaps having the first female leader of that country. And I can't imagine having spent my entire life's work fighting for women's rights 
in her way, whether or not you agree with that it should be done um, at a Supreme Court level, or if it should be done at an activism level or somewhere in between, she spent her entire career fighting for women's rights. She thought there was a potential of having the very first woman leader of her country. I really can't, as much as I try to, I really can't fault her for not stepping down. Like I would have had a hard, a very difficult um, personal decision if I were in her shoes. Well, and again, like, like I said, eight, but that aside, which I'm sure would have been like, she would have wanted to see that and be part of that. Like, you can't, like, how do you see 10 years in the future? Like, you can't. Like, if you had asked everyone 10 years ago, oh, did you know that, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg will get cancer and die when Donald Trump is president? Like, people would have laughed in your face. Like, you know? Well, I mean, unfortunately, I think there were a lot of people, um, you know, sounding the alarm that Donald Trump is a fascist and that the Republican Party has been tending towards fascism for a very long time. Um, But no, I mean, no, they couldn't have predicted which one of, let's be honest here, it's a lifetime appointment. Some of them are getting up there. Of which of these people are going to pass away during the next four years? That's, I mean, I I guess if you're a a politically minded actuary, maybe. But But again, it wasn't four years, it was 10 years. Yeah, it was 10. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it could have been any of us. But going back, I, I did dig up a little bit on her and um, wanted to kind of go through some of the stuff that she had done in her lifetime. Um, What I thought was really interesting is she was obviously one of the first female lawyers in her class. And she actually graduated at the top of her class and still could not get a job because these law firms did not want to hire women. So she was literally the smartest person in her class and they were like, nah, we're good. Mm -hmm. It's just so baffling. And I can't believe that, you know, within her lifetime, which to be honest, isn't that long. This was like still a thing. Right. And we still see it, right. It, you can be the smartest or women have to work hard. People of color have to work hard or harder than white men or white people and they're still not chosen for those roles and I think that's something that we all need to be mindful of for sure. Yeah well and I think when we look at this um, you know she session as this is being called as well I think several working women who are out there right now are gonna have to deal with the same battles that that this woman um fought we should have been done with this by now we should have been done with it in her lifetime people were fighting the same battles that she fought in the late 1800s it's um it's ridiculous yeah it's i I don't know it's shocking and and humbling i guess it makes me tired (laughs) like i'm like my god we still have so much work to do yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it makes me tired or just very angry. I think I go back and forth on, on that. Some days I'm angry. Some days I'm tired. Um, 
but that could also be because I'm 32 weeks pregnant. So <laughs> one of the, one of the two. Um, so some of the legislation that's kind of floating around that she's had a direct impact on um, was around just that financial feminism. So, you know, not needing a man to open up a bank account was one thing that she was definitely a part of and an advocate for. Same with getting a mortgage without a man's signature. And um, I think both of those have led to obviously women being able to kind of own property and own their own property without a man. And hopefully in some cases has led women to um, either, you know, obviously not need a partner at any point in their life or leave shitty relationships that are maybe abusive or something like that and be able to start fresh. Yeah, I think it definitely um, opened up a lot of opportunity. I think it was still a subset of women. Um, Agreed, yeah. Yeah, but, and I don't want to sound like a first or second wave feminist here, but like at least a subset of women is something, right? Like I wish well, it could have been more, but it is what it is. No, and I, and I totally agree with you there. And I think, you know, it's always important to bring that up and to acknowledge who she actually did help. But like when you look back at people who have been advocates for human rights, um, it it's challenging because it's like, well, why couldn't they have been advocates for all human rights back then? And it's like, well, unfortunately times were a little bit different and they were, I guess, doing the best they could with the knowledge and the information they had. And, and I, I don't say that as a cop-out, obviously now knowing what we do and um, being in the positions that we're in now, I would expect someone to be advocating for, you know, women across all intersectionalities, not just white women. But at the same time, we can't expect our heroes, and in some way, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a hero for many people, to fix all of our problems either, right? Like, we can't expect one person to do it all. And again, not trying to sound like a cop-out, but like, we all have a responsibility to push and advocate for those things now as well as they are important to us. Yeah, and I think my point to, to that would be that this sort of, like, hero idolization of people or, you know, almost like beatification and, like, sainthood is, is problematic in and of itself because as a Supreme Court justice, she only made decisions on cases that got to the Supreme Court level. As a lawyer, she only had access to cases that became cases. Like there is an amount that she can do, right? But there's also, you know, a role for everyday activism. I mean, there's so many different ways to to create social change. And I was really thinking of, you know, the, the, the three main ways I think of it is like, activism, like everyday activism, um, or direct action, however you want to put that, electoral activism. And then you have it on the legal side as well, which is where she was operating. And to say that, you know, she was not solely responsible. She made a decision. She had some very good dissents. She had some very good um, majority opinions. But at the same time, if the case never made it to her, she would never be able to dissent 
or give her majority opinion either, right? Um, so yeah, there, there, it's not just her. Her wins are not just her wins and her losses um, are not just her losses either. 100%. And even, her, even her poor decisions, even like the dissents or the agreements that I, I did not support that she made were not hers alone either, right? Because she shouldn't be the only voice of reason for all people. We should have representatives of marginalized groups at every level with lived experience and access to the education to get them into either the judicial system, into electoral politics, or have them be involved in organizing in direct action. Totally. And I think that does speak to a huge issue we have in our society is you can't usually get a lawyer unless you have a decent amount of money or if you have the confidence to fight some of these um, issues that you believe are, are worth fighting for. Like how many times do we hear about sexual assault cases that, you know, don't get reported or don't get fought for in court. And that's just one small example. I'm sure many marginalized groups have their own examples of those things. And again, you have to be able to afford a lawyer. And then if you don't get it to that highest level of government or um, the court system in this case, then mm -hmm. you're not going to have that group of nine people make a decision and be able to weigh in. So I think that's a huge issue. And again, yeah, the, the glorification of heroes, I think can be definitely problematic in our society as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. So I guess kind of the, the last area that I wanted to touch on um, is around what happens if Trump jams through another asshole um, in the next six weeks. So I think that's probably going to happen. And even if it doesn't happen in the next six weeks, I think he said he's going to have nominations chosen by this weekend, but uh, there's possibly going to be um, a lame duck, I guess, timeline from when the election happens, if he was to lose and Biden were to win, mm -hmm. as well as if the Senate flips, where I think it's going to be a disaster. Like the Republicans are just going to try and make it as challenging for the Democrats, Democratic Party to come in as possible, which is so disappointing. But that's a whole podcast on its own. I wanted to talk about the um, different pieces of legislation that I think are going to be affected if, if that's the case. So the first one that I think is the most huge problem and most prevalent would be Roe v. Wade being overturned. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, think, I think some of them have mentioned that it's like it's time to go like it's time for Roe v. Wade to go which is absolute bullshit because I mean one of the things that um Ruth Bader Ginsburg was controversial about at the beginning of her appointment was that she didn't love Roe v. Wade um but it's because in her opinion it was enacted for the wrong principles and didn't really go far enough in terms of like women's equality. This is not the time to let 
access to, to healthcare uh, for people who have uteruses be um, debated at that level? Yeah, I think if that gets repealed, there are a lot of women that are going to be affected and it's going to be a lot of low-income, marginalized groups that are affected. Well, and and here's the way I was thinking about it in terms of like what the Supreme Court can say and like in our country as well. In terms of like access to abortions in our country, we're supposed to have universal access. It's a part of healthcare. Same with education and all healthcare. The, the, the law of, of everything within the borders of our country say that access to education and healthcare, abortion being a part of healthcare, should be universal and easily accessible through either hospitals or outpatient clinics. But we don't have that. We don't have that. And it's the same thing in the States. Roe v. Wade said, you should have access to an abortion. Full stop. The decision on that said, you should have access to an abortion because of women's privacy. Full stop. We did that here as well. But in the same way, our provinces decide who has access to healthcare. And the states, the states decide who has access to healthcare. So you end up having one clinic that can provide an abortion in, in like 300 kilometers, 500 kilometers, um, uh, uh, radius or however you want to put that. And it means that if you're a gal who needs an abortion for whatever fucking reason, because it's nobody's business, unless you're holding the hand of the person having the abortion, the person who's having the abortion or the person providing the fucking abortion. So, this person makes a decision. They need to have an abortion. They live up north. Where the fuck do they go? Exactly. Um, sometimes they have to take time off work. They have to pay for a flight and they have to fly God knows how fucking long to go get an outpatient safe healthcare treatment that should and is supposed to be universally accessible to all Canadians in this case. And also given Roe v. Wade, to all um, citizens of the United States and whatever fuck their territories are. I 100% agree. And I don't know how many documentaries you've watched on, I feel like I've watched too many on this whole thing, but in addition to the legislation around it, um, it being accessible in terms of like distance, um, they've also, and when I say they, I do mean the Republicans, have made it challenging to um, make the places you go for abortions meet like certain criteria. So I know one was like, you have to have like X number of, I don't remember if it was meters or feet in a hallway. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't, then you couldn't provide abortions in that clinic. And this obviously hurts places where they're in like older buildings, um, which is usually like metropolitan centers, right? Like downtown, like if you think about, like Edmonton is a great example. Like if you go downtown, there's all those like little old houses where businesses are, are being run out of there. And um, it causes those places to shut down. And then there's less 
places that women can go for abortion. So Mm -hmm. not only is it a distance thing, or I guess it it perpetuates the distance thing, right? Because there maybe was 10 places and then they jammed through some legislation and now there's only five places. So, yeah. And then, um, we see parallels when the conservatives get into power too. So I think that this is um, something that needs to be top of mind when we watch what happens in the United States, because sometimes what happens in the United States is just sort of forbearing um, or foreshadowing, I suppose, of what might happen in Canada. So our uh, rights to access to healthcare, in this case, abortion-related healthcare, were attacked at a federal level in 2007 and in 1990, where conservative governments who were elected attempted to criminalize doctors who were providing abortions in Canada. Twice they fucking did that. I do not trust conservative leadership at this point, or maybe fucking ever, unless they really change um, their tune, to support my right to choose. And I think it should be said the same thing for Republicans in the United States. If they are elected, if they hold the balance of power in that country, they will ensure that you are not able to have a safe abortion if you need one. And once again, I don't give a fuck why you need one. It's your decision. Yeah. And I think that's what people forget, right? Is it's no one's decision, but the person having the abortion. So yeah. I mean, if anybody that on that, (laughs) if really, if, if Republicans and and conservatives, because they're very similar when they get into power and in our two countries, if they really cared so much about right to life or right of the embryo or whatever, um, why aren't they then just taking tax money, which they could do, and investing it into, I don't know, like uh, external amniotic sac. If you really care that much, then make the, the, like, allow women to have the ability to do this. You could do it through, um, I don't know, uh, free food. You could do it through actual free healthcare. You could do it through free education. Because the thing is, most people who have abortions are people who already have children. They already yeah. have children. They already know what this looks like. They can't fucking afford it because the people that put forward anti-abortion bills or basically forced birther bills are the same people who will restrict access to fair wages. They'll restrict access to food. They'll restrict access to healthcare, childcare, education. And at that point, it just becomes a way to control women and to hold women back. Well, and I think what's hilarious and it's not hilarious at all, but I'm going to say that it's hilarious is they say like, you'll hear people say, well, don't have a kid if you can't afford one. And it's like, that's literally exactly what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Someone told uh, told me that in regards to um, the COVID cases in schools this week on, oh, of good. course, the social medias. Um, I'm not sure how long that logic flies. Apparently, not only am I supposed to... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, be totally and fully responsible for something that takes um, 
like a sperm and an egg, which I don't have both of those. I don't fucking have both of those, but apparently I'm supposed to be responsible for fucking both of those at every step of the way. And then if the, the fetus gets past viability, I'm also responsible for literally everything, even if that fetus is not going to survive birth. Fine. And then five years later, if there's a global pandemic, five to 18 years later, if there's a global pandemic during that time, well, I just should have fucking planned better, apparently. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. It, it, it falls apart <sighs> so easily. And if anybody hears that argument, if any other mothers hear that argument, because I am a mother, uh, with a uterus, not that it matters, but if any other mother hears that argument and thinks to themselves, maybe I should feel shame about this. Maybe I should have planned better. No, that's bullshit. Your child will be a future taxpayer. Your child will be a future worker. Your child is our actual fucking future and it takes a village. And just because buddy doesn't want to pay some fucking taxes or I don't know, hates people with uteruses, that's buddy's problem. It's not your problem. Your child is beautiful. Your family is beautiful and they need to shove it. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Anyway, Um, go on. (laughs) I was going to say the next area. So that was Roe v. Wade. Abortions are at risk. I think if they put another justice on the bench that is Republican, um, voter suppression, I think is a huge area that they're going to try and screw over, um, requiring ID for people in certain areas, closing polling stations, and ultimately gerrymandering are kind of all areas that I see there being huge issues with if another Republican gets on the bench and um, kind of swings the balance back the other way. Yeah, and there were two... um court cases that came up, I think, during RBG's um, term there that had to do with those very things. Uh, The one on like, it became like reverse racism. I remember it being like reverse racism, which was so stupid and ended up um, basically allowing the states to decide, the individual states, I should say, to decide who gets to vote and in which, which way, which ensured that marginalized people, or I suppose anyone that the current powerful people, and that doesn't mean necessarily the elected officials, but the current people in power decide should not have a vote. That's what that did on mass blanket. Um, and then there was the other one about the whole uh, Bush Gore situation, which was also pretty um shitty if i remember correctly was that around gerrymandering uh that was that whole like florida thing i I mean again i'm not really it's not that i'm not invested in u.s politics because they are the country to watch um but i i just don't want to know that much about their electoral system if if you know what I mean. There was something that had to do with Florida. It went to the Supreme Court. They all said it was Bush. RBG said, no, I think I'm pretty sure it was Gore. This is a bunch of bullshit. Um, And I remember it being just like a big fucking mess. Yeah, I 
don't know the specifics of that specific thing, but maybe yeah. one of our listeners does. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, voter suppression and then, you know, being the deciding person, you know, if the electoral, electoral college and whatnot gets involved again. Yeah, and I just see that not going well for many people in the States. And I think the last area that I see being affected, and if you have any to add, like, feel free, but is around kind of affordable health care or Obamacare as it's known in the States. I could see that being repealed as well. Yeah, and I mean, I have so many problems with like the state of healthcare in the United States anyway, like living so close to them. And then anytime you talk to American, you're like, what exactly just happened? Like you got sick and then you were you were charged. Like (laughs) here we're fighting for pharmacare. There they're fighting for like a doctor. And I just Oh, I know it's wild. And I feel like from what I've heard um, from some Americans is that the Democrats haven't gone far enough either in terms of like Medicare for all. Um, I mean, it's such, it's already such a difficult battle, even if the Democrats were to, to be in power. I mean, the whole two party, and it's not really a two party system, but in effect it is, um, it's mind boggling. It's absolute mind boggling. And I think here we do have a lot of, um, you know, people are blue because their parents were blue and people are red because their parents were red, but at least we have like a few other parties to choose from. Um, And I feel like that helps sometimes with the, I'm cheering for the home team kind of Mentality. Mentality, yeah, regarding electoral politics, I suppose. Um, Because if you really only have two to choose from and you're either choosing for a fascist or like some other person you don't really like, also the weird thing about choosing their president, it's very odd. Um, And I don't think it really works for anyone. But anyway, yeah, they're not getting Medicare for all. That sucks. (laughs) Totally. And their system has some work to be done for sure. But it it really like saddens me to hear like how much it costs to have a baby down there or um, what a NICU visit costs or how cancer treatment bankrupted a family, like stuff that happens every single day. Like this isn't like you have a rare blood disease that requires like uh, uh, that should be covered. Don't get me wrong, but it's not. I was like, about to say I have a rare blood disease. I know that's anyway. why I use that. <laughs> I was gonna say it's not that those things shouldn't be covered, but it's also not like they're trying to fight for something that you know four people in in their whole country have. It's like literally stuff that everyone comes in contact with, right? Like everyone knows someone who's had a baby. Everyone who knows someone who's had cancer, I feel like those are like the two huge um, medical things in people's lives and those aren't even covered, right? Like it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Well, and I, I do think about it just with the disorder that I have. Um, like I, even here in Canada, like I can't qualify for life insurance. Like there's a bunch of weird shit. Um, 
but if I had had to, or if my family had had to, you know, pay out of pocket to figure out what the hell was going on. And then, you know, I've already been in situations where my parents had to take time off of work and do that kind of thing, which I think also should be covered. Like you shouldn't have to put your job at risk because your child is sick, but at least we didn't also have to pay for the hospital stay and the full cost of the medication because thank goodness, um, still somehow my particular brand of medication falls underneath, um, the umbrella of like good and bad medication in Canada. Like, I don't know, but like we have people who now have lost their jobs and now like can't afford their ADHD medication. How do you get another job if you can't afford your ADHD medication? Yeah, that's a huge, huge problem in Canada, but I'm, I know it's worse in the States and we should obviously I'm obviously grateful we live in the country we do, but that doesn't mean it can't be better. Exactly. I think we still need to to push and constantly push. It's never going to be perfect. Public opinion is going to change. We're going to find people that are not best served by our current systems or our current laws. Um, and I think we have to find a way in whatever way that we feel is best for us personally, whether it be judicial, electoral, um, in my opinion, you know, like direct action or activism. Um, I can't really think of any other ways to kind of change the laws in your country. Can you think of, am I missing one? Revolution? (laughs) Well, I feel like that's direct action. That's that's direct action to the extreme. That's direct action when the other two ways of changing shit are not listening to you. That's what happens. Then you get a revolution. Yeah, I would say that those are probably the three. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of all I had for talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, obviously. I mean, she she wasn't perfect, no, no person is, but I, I think overall the benefit she gave to society was far greater than a lot of people. And I think that her life should be, I guess, maybe honored is, I don't know if that's the right word, but she, she did a lot for, I guess, humanity is kind of how I see it. Yeah. And I mean, there are some decisions that I um, don't agree with and some statements that she made that I don't agree with, but at the same time, if it had been her and then it had been, you know, um, an indigenous person who was also very much like of the land back mentality or like reparations mentality in 2005. Um, And then maybe um, a person of uh, Black Lives Matter persuasion back when Kaepernick first took a knee that was more like a personal thing or whatever. And then we had someone like thinking of Americans. Um, I think it's like Angela Davis has been very outspoken for a long time about um, police and pri- prison abolition. Not saying that that is necessarily the solution, but I'm just saying like, she seemed to sometimes be the one dissenting view or like the one representative of like, a marginalized group who was fighting for a marginalized group and she didn't even do it fully and completely. 
But if we had ads, and not we because we're not American, but if there had been other people during those cases, like um, her ruling on um, discrimination against women opened the door for, um, you know, gay marriage in the United States and not discriminating against uh, LGBTQ plus people. Well, fuck, man. Like, what if there had been a trans person up there? Like, we could have, I feel like we could have gotten shit done so much faster if we just actually had people that represent us. In all branches, yeah, in all branches of government. And in all countries, too, right? Like, not just the United States. In all countries. But I have really been thinking about the Roe v. Wade thing, and I do want to bring it up because I don't think we're going to record. We might record one more time. So every year on October 4th or thereabouts, a bunch of forced birther people um, come on out and they say, Canada, the United States, like literally everywhere um, is too lenient with abortions. We don't like abortions. It's not great. And they do this at the same time, not looking into, I don't know what our adoptive system looks like, what our child welfare system looks like, what our healthcare system looks like, what our our food security situation is, what our uh, wage gap, which is also an RBG thing. So I'll give her credit for that um, situation is like, um, what our balance is in the workplace. Um, they don't give a fuck. They just don't want you to have an abortion because, you know, and I'm going to be completely honest in my personal opinion, that is a baby in there, but it's a potential baby until that baby can live without that lady that it's attached to. Um, so they come out on October 4th. And so I was thinking about this. So I was like, okay, so if, Roe v. Wade is overturned, which I think is pretty likely in either case. Like, honestly, it doesn't matter if it's Trump or Biden. I think some shit is happening down there. The trap laws have been horrible for them, um, which we have similar things here in the provinces, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, But what happens when we're due for a conservative government? Because what we do up here is we just flip to liberal and conservative and we pretend like we're any fucking different. So when we go to a conservative government, the last time the conservatives were in power, they tried to criminalize abortion again. Our prime minister voted for it. In 1990, literally like two years after abortion was legal in Canada, they also tried to recriminalize abortion when a woman's life was not at risk. Like, I don't know why we, I don't know why, I don't understand conservative mentality for one, just throwing that out there. I don't know why we put these like weird hoops, checks and balances on stuff that like literally this is a grown person. At, at least I hope they're grown because in some way, in some situations, people who are pregnant looking for abortions um, are not grown. That's besides the point. Grown people, we assume, are able to make this decision for themselves, their family, and their loved ones. Leave it the fuck alone. Like, I don't understand. So 
I looked into it a little bit because I was like, okay, so if the Supreme Court can't hold it up in the States, like how did they all do this the first time? Well, there was the Jane Collective that was running. They were doing safe abortions. They were bringing in doctors. They were um, getting women access to abortion in a way that didn't kill them, which is great because prior to having safe legal abortion, you had a bunch of dead women. Like maybe that's what the conservatives want. Oh, 100%. Because if you're not a baby maker, if you have a uterus and you're not a baby maker, you might as well be fucking dead. Because like, honestly, like, I don't understand why you would not want that. There's a pretty clear evidence-based way to limit abortions and it's access to safe, affordable or free contraceptive and um, or, or, you know, contraception tools, devices, what have you, like, and full stop too. It's not like it should be here. It shouldn't be that like you have to pay for condoms and you might have to pay for the pill if your employer covers it, you might get it okay. No employers pay for IUDs. The shot is like a big deal. You shouldn't have to go through all that thing. Like full stop, if you want a vasectomy, get a vasectomy. If you want to have your tubes tied, get your fucking tubes tied. If you uh, want to have a hysterectomy, have a hysterectomy. If you want to have the pill, if you want to have an IUD, if you want to have condoms, that should all be publicly funded because it is detrimental to our society to have people being forced to give birth. Well, and I That's think not great. Wasn't it? One of our previous guests, was it Dr. Ted's who said this would be super easy to solve, just like set up a 1-800 number and people call it and then birth control is like delivered to their house? Yeah. Like we have so many options to like significantly reduce the number of abortions. And the thing is, from what I've seen, abortions per year, per person, whatever, however, whatever metric you want to look at are going down. Why? Because we have broad, accessible um, access to a varied um, or, or like a variety of contraception methods. That's what works. Also, if I've heard this weird play of like, oh, well, like it's a lot of like black um, and indigenous women that get abortions. And it's like, in Canada, it wasn't that long ago where we were forcibly um, sterilizing Indigenous women, so you might want to take a step back. Um, but also, if you want to say, okay, so it looks like there's marginalized women that are accessing abortions, is it because they don't have access to contraception? Is it because they don't have access to health care? Is it because they don't have access to public education for their children? Maybe they want that child, and they just can't because if they have that child they can't feed or educate or care for um the health care concerns of their already living children like this is not fucking hard if you just look at a woman like she's a full and complete human being and i shouldn't say woman i should say just person with a uterus if you just it doesn't matter what kind of um sexual organ you have you should just be able to choose whether or not you bring another person into this goddamn world and you should be able to decide whether or not that is damaging to your life. Oh, I mean, I feel like we could talk about 
abortion for like four days. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a complex issue at the same time as it's like the most simple issue. Like it's complex yeah. in like the deep rooted sexism and patriarchy, but it's like the solution is simple. Yeah. Well, and just for like a brief history of, of how this happened in Canada and it happened later than it did in the United States, which maybe in some ways I, I do worry that our um, access to abortion contraceptives and all of that is a little bit more tenuous than the United States in some ways, because it's more recent. Um, but I think we have to remember that it wasn't until um, 1969 in Canada that any form of contraception was legal. So if you wanted to use contraception, let's say you're in a heterosexual relationship with a husband. So like you're doing all the right things, but you just already have five babies and you, you are doing an illegal thing by using a condom. That's 1969. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. For some of us, that's like our parents. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So then when this um, came through, and I should say abortion was allowed if the mom was going to die, but that's die through birthing, not through like, because I can't afford food or because I'm homeless. No, it's like, are you going to bleed out? And if you're not, then it's you pretty, have to have this baby. It's a pretty low bar. It's a low fucking bar. So anyway, like a bunch of lady activists, like went, drove across the country. And this is why I want to focus on the activism piece, because I think activism and electoral politics are what get you to the Supreme Court level. And I think we have to remember that too, uh, because there are people that come before people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So in 1970, women drove across the country, picking up more women as they went. And they, some of them, not all of them, but they protested outside of um, the parliament buildings in Ottawa. And some of them chained themselves to fixtures. Like this was a big deal. They, they went in, they, they pretended to just be like spectators at certain things. And then they caused, they caused shit. And then in 1975, uh, a male doctor, a male OBGYN, because it's 1975 and we don't even have um, legalized abortion in Canada at this point, comes out and says, I provided 5,000 abortions. I'm a criminal. And we also need people like that too. We need people to look at this and in their, their profession or in their position of power say that this either subset of the population or this person is being ill-treated by the way our system is currently set up. And that could be through policy or through law. And then we have to somehow enable them to be brave enough to maybe say, I committed a crime. I'm not saying commit a crime, but I'm saying if what they're doing is right, but criminal, I think we need to support that because maybe it's the law that's wrong. So anyway, 1975, Buddy comes out, says, I've, I'm a criminal. I've completed 5,000 abortions. All these women are alive, um, but I did this thing that you say is wrong. And then in 1982, we finally got the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It wasn't until 1988 that restrictions on abortions were deemed 
unconstitutional based on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So that's almost 20 years of active work of people coming together, changing public opinion. Yeah. Um, it, it in takes, some cases, like, yeah. It takes a village, right? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, we all are grateful for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, where most people are, but you do make a great point that, you know, the, the winds of change or the tides of change, whatever the freaking metaphor is, <laughs> they come from, you know, years and years and years before of people advocating that maybe we don't know their names and mm-hmm. maybe we should. Maybe we should, and, but, but maybe it's not just one person either. Like I know there's all these petitions that have been going around in COVID times and people are like, well, what is the petition going to do? Well, at least it's sending a letter to your representative. So they have it documented saying like, you, you disagree or in the words of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you dissent. Like I dissent, I disagree with what is happening right now. And whether it be a petition or as far as changing yourselves to, to gates, like as long as you're not hurting anyone else, like be strong and opinionated about something that you think is systematically wrong. Or See, systematically sometimes I feel wrong. like I'm the person who's like, what's another petition going to do? But I saw mm-hmm. one go through for like the mech sale and I was like, this is stupid, but we can cut that part out. But I'm <laughs> totally that person sometimes, but I totally understand why we need to be loud and um, not afraid to, to speak our minds when it comes to mm-hmm. things that, that do really matter and have the potential to affect, you know, society for generations to come. Yeah. And then I think like um, when conservatives do get power or in the case of the United States, when Republicans do get in power, like understand you're still a part of history and you're still a part of change. And every step that we take as marginalized women and, and we as white women, I think, have to have an understanding that we're not as marginalized as some and can be weaponized or can weaponize our own femininity um, against other groups. But it's still happening. 20 years is a very short period of time. And it wasn't that long before conservatives, whether minority or majority, tried to take that right away from us after somebody else had fought and chained themselves to the gates of parliament to ensure that we had access to that piece of healthcare. Um, and, and I think every time we get a, a government here, like as our listeners know, we are in Alberta. Um, every time one of our provincial governments tries to take something away from us or from another woman who just looks a little bit different than us um, or from uh, a, a non-woman member of the LGBTQ plus community or of a racialized person, I think we should do everything we can to stand with that group because it's not going to be that much longer until we're asking them to once again stand with us. Well said. And I think that's probably a great place to leave it. I, yeah. I don't know if there's a pink tax rebate. I think, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg would want us to all fight for women's rights. And my hope, I guess, is that if she had been 30 years older that, you know, her fighting for women's rights would have meant all 
types of different types of women, but you know, maybe that's on our generation and we can be the winds of change there. We'll hear argument this morning in case 15-274, Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt. As far as we know, this is among the most safe, the least risk procedures at early stage abortion. So what was, what was the problem that the legislature was responding to that it needed to improve the facilities for a woman's health? In Petitioner's first lawsuit, Planned Parenthood admitted that over 210 women annually are hospitalized because of abortion complications. Here, J266. As compared to childbirth, many, many, much riskier procedure, is it not? Well, the American Center for Law and Justice and former abortion providers' amicus briefs dispute that. But regardless, there is evidence. Is, is there really any dispute that Just, childbirth <laughs> is a much riskier procedure? than yes. an early-stage abortion. Gone, thought I lost my mind. Creature without a spine. Took back what should be mine. Thrown in the deep end. Trouble, I gained a voice. I'm not your shiny toy. Left me without a choice. What was Let us know what you think on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Pink Tax Podcast is recorded in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Our music is provided by Margot. You can find her work at noisebymargot.com. Sound editing by Peter Dobson. If you'd like to support the Pink Tax Podcast, you can make a donation at liberapay.com slash pinktaxpodcast and submit a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.